The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me beside still waters. Thank you for joining Beside Still Waters podcast with Christian Javois. Beside Still Waters is the moment in our day when we seek stillness in God's presence, guidance from the Word of God, and grace to live by faith. This is the moment when we view horizontal living from the divine perspective. For the eyes of Jehovah run to and fro through the whole earth to show himself strong in the behalf of those whose heart is perfect toward him. Now here's today's message. We hope it will be a blessing. Welcome to Beside Still Waters. I'm glad you could join me for our third podcast on the topic of God passing by. God is passing by. And uh, our thought is taken from 2 Chronicles chapter 16 and verse 9. For the eyes of Jehovah run to and fro through the whole earth to show himself strong in the behalf of those whose heart is perfect toward him. As was mentioned in the last two podcasts, uh, this verse, 2 Chronicles 16, 9, was the response of the seer to King Asa when the king misplaced his confidence, that is, placing it in the Syrian king for deliverance, rather than Jehovah, as he had done previously when he faced the Ethiopian million-man army of Zira. King Asa's life uh, is essentially the backdrop for this vital truth, uh, which deals with the believer's privilege of touching the invisible hand of God throughout life's varied and challenging circumstances. I must say it's a mystery how a believer uh, engages with the living God, especially in the hour of trial. And uh, that person, that believer, is able to experience God's presence and to see with his or her very eyes God's working in their lives. So as, as was explained previously, there are about five components to this spiritual paradigm which becomes our model for God's dealings with the men of faith. And and this paradigm is also a transitional type of event. That is, it's really intended, God's work, God's uh, process of shifting our dependence is intended for our faith to move from the tangible, transient things that we are able to see to the invisible, eternal things of God. This is really what it's all about. This is the crux of the matter right here. The Spirit of God is at work in the life of the believer, working to move that believer's faith from tangible, transient things, however good they may be, to the invisible, eternal things of God. And so we're introduced to this faith-growing moment. And I'd just like to recap for you uh, 
what we have uh, been discussing in the last two podcasts, and that is that there are five parts to this uh, spiritual paradigm. Uh, there's that go-ahead moment, the promise of God, that's second, contrary circumstances being introduced, that's the third element, awareness of God's presence, and of course, a stepping out in faith. Now today we're going to learn a little bit about King uh, Hezekiah and some of his accomplishments, but what is noteworthy about this king uh, is stated uh, in chapter 18 and verse 5, which says, He trusted in Jehovah, the God of Israel, and that after him there was none like him among all the kings of Judah, nor among any that were before him. So this man, this king, was apart from all others. He cleaved to Jehovah. Uh, we are told that he did not turn aside from following him. Uh, and in spite of this caption on his resume, that this distinctive did not uh, uh, eliminate any possibility that he should be subject to contrary circumstances. So the sum of the matter is even the very best of men run the risk of having their confidence anchored in what they see versus their view and vision of God regardless of their accomplishments. And I want to repeat that. This is the main truth that we have looked at both in Peter's life and King Asa and now King Hezekiah. And that is, regardless of the achievements, the, the resumes of the best spiritual men, every one of them and every one of us run the risk of having our confidence anchored in what we see versus being anchored in a grand view and vision of who God is, regardless of our accomplishments. So let's look at the go-ahead in the, king of, in the uh, life of King Hezekiah in chapter 29 of, of uh, uh, 2 Chronicles. Uh, it says that, of course, Jehovah was with him and that he prospered in his political and spiritual objectives. Uh, we are told also that he resisted the uh, tyrannical reign of the king of Assyria, refusing, of course, to serve him, and uh, that he fought against the Philistines uh, right up to their borders. So obviously this king was on the move. And uh, what we learn is that Hezekiah did more for the reestablishment of the worship of Jehovah in the nation of Israel than any of the Judaic kings, and certainly not in the northern kingdom. So his influence went beyond Judah and uh, Benjamin. And during the first year of his reign, uh, the temple rebuilding program began. So he, he, sent, he is essentially restoring the house of worship. Not only that, he reinstated the Levitical or the priestly rites and rituals. And so he was reconnecting the people with Jehovah. In, in a word, 
the priestly office was reinstated. And then closely associated with that, that is with the priestly offices being uh, reinstated, he brought these priests back to a holy standard. That which was needful to consecrate them to the service of Jehovah, this king was instrumental in, in moving them in that direction. He was cognizant of the breach of their forefathers in forsaking Jehovah, and he was taking steps to, if you will, fill the gap, close the breach. And as a result of the nation's apostasy, King Hezekiah was aware that God's wrath was kindled against them. And therefore, they would be subjugated by their enemies, they would fall by the sword, or they would be taken in captivity. And he was aware of this history. He understood his times. The man was wise. I, I, I think this is noteworthy because he's aware of his times. He's aware of how they got to where they are right now, why the kingdom is split, all the events, he recognized clearly the hand of God, the fingerprint of God in judgment and the consequences that have uh, ensued as a result of the choices that the people and the kings have made. So he understood his times. And so we, we add to his resume of accomplishments that the uh, reinstitution of Levitical worship, both in a personal consecration as well as the sacrificial rites and practices and offerings, uh, he moved the nation, or he was working to move the nation in the direction of God. And so as a, as a result of this man's efforts, their practice and their objective in bringing the people back to Jehovah was greatly accomplished during his reign. In fact, that's what uh, chapter 29 and verse 36 tells us, that he and all the people rejoiced with him. Why? Because God prepared their hearts for this notable accomplishment. And so we're looking at a man whose resume is chock full of spiritual, political, and social achievements. And so this man, and, and remember, when we're looking at this par paradigm, we're thinking about not only the go-ahead, the, the, the endeavors that we are involved in, the things that God has allowed us to work at. He's given us the strength to do. And they're good things, noble things, like King Hezekiah. Compared to all the other kings before him and after him, this man was at the pinnacle of success. And so... Uh, the, the, the promise of God comes to bear on this circumstance. In fact, if we were to go back to uh, Exodus chapter 12 and verses 13 and 14, Jehovah told the people through the mouth of Moses while they were in Egypt, I will execute judgment. I am Jehovah and the blood that is the blood of the lamb that was slain shall be for you as a sign on the houses in which you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you and the plagues shall not be among you for destruction when I smite the land of Egypt. And Jehovah went on to say by the, by the uh, mouth of Moses, and this day shall be unto you for a memorial and you shall celebrate it 
as a feast to Jehovah throughout your generations, as an ordinance forever shall you celebrate it. And so King Hezekiah is influencing the people back to this practice that was instituted almost 600 years before the time of King Hezekiah's reign. So something that had not been done, this king is now in the process of reinstituting the Passover. And then add to that, and I I think it's so great, there's so much to this man's life, how productive he was. Add to that, his influence went beyond this event and touched the northern kingdom. He's the only uh, uh, Judaic king, the king of of, uh, of uh, uh, Judah and Benjamin, that had influence to such a large degree over the northern kingdom. And we are told in chapter 30 that he wrote letters to Ephraim and Manasseh to come to the house of Jehovah at Jerusalem and hold the Passover with the two uh, southern tribes. And then in addition to that, I mean, we're just just racking up the accomplishments here. He proclaimed this. Uh, He made this declaration from the northern part of Israel to the very south. That is from Beersheba to Dan. That they should all come and hold the Passover to Jehovah, the God of Israel, at Jerusalem. So in short, he sought to unify the kingdom once more. He sought to unify it. And I really love what we are told in chapter 30 about the people not being, at one point in in chapter 30, the people were not ceremoniously cleansed. Okay, they weren't hallowed for worship. And apparently because they were not ceremoniously cleansed, according to the uh, ritualistic requirements, that we are told Hezekiah uh, interceded for them with Jehovah and he prayed and asked Jehovah who he uh, uh, recognized as merciful and forgiving to pardon them because what they were doing is directing their hearts towards him. Although, and, and what he's stating to Jehovah is, although it was not according to the ritualistic law dealing with the purification of the sanctuary, in other words, they didn't do what they needed to do correctly, but he's asking Jehovah, just extend pardon and forgiveness because they're just trying to come back to you. And we are told that Jehovah heard and granted the king's request and healed the people. It's amazing. This man was walking with God. Now, I want to say this because now contrary circumstances are coming to bear. And now we, we have arrived at that place where you and I say when we evaluate our lives, you know, some of us might say, I've done so much for the kingdom of God. And others of you might say, I haven't done enough for the kingdom of God. But I want to say to both of you, whether you've done a lot or a little or you're somewhat in between. It makes no difference. Why? Because God is interested in coming by your house. <laughs> He's interested in coming by your house. And that's what, that's what the seer said to uh, King Asa. The eyes of Jehovah run to and fro through the whole earth to show himself strong in the behalf of those whose heart whose heart is 
perfect towards him, whose heart is looking to him singly. That's what God wants. We may have a lot of accomplishments. We may win many to Christ. We may perform great works of service, great works of mercy. We may do so much to bring unity. But in every one of us, in our lives, God is interested in doing something that's far deeper. He wants us to have that that dynamic relationship such that we can reach out and touch his hand, so to speak, walk with the one who governs the universe. And so God will allow contrary circumstances. I'm telling you, if you try to escape this, it, it, you, will be un, you will fail at it. You will always be unsuccessful because this is an act of God. And so we have arrived at the place where many have been confused by God's permitting, God's allowance of crisis. Verse 1 tells us concerning uh, uh, King Hezekiah. This, this, this is something I, I really want you to, to think about, my friends. Because many spend their lives trying to avoid this. Trying to avoid this. And we are told that after these things, after his faithfulness, another translation has it, after these deeds of faithfulness, that uh, King Hezekiah, came face to face with contrary circumstances. After all that he had accomplished, trouble came. Trouble came. Although all that this man accomplished was extraordinary, both for Judah and Benjamin, as well as for the nation of Israel in trying to unify the kingdom more than any king before him or any that should come. This made no difference. Contrary circumstances were allowed to come to King Hezekiah. And I want you to bear in mind that it is God that allowed the crisis, the contrary circumstance, the challenge that creates fear in our hearts. It is God that allows this. And so during his reign, Sennacherib, the king of Assyria, came and camped against the fortified cities so that he could breach them and capture the cities. And you'll find this in 2 Kings uh, chapter 18, uh, around the 13th to 16th uh, verse. And then Sennacherib levied a, a, a sort of one-time tax. It's really like a ransom as a consequence of being conquered, which was equal to, the scripture tells us, uh, 300 talents of silver and uh, 30 talents of gold. And this amount of money or currency in their time was comparable to uh, essentially like 250,000 pounds sterling or somewhere in the neighborhood of 340 to $350,000 as a one-time ransom payment. And Hezekiah, King Hezekiah, was forced to empty the 
public treasuries and to take the gold plates from the pillars and the doors of the temple. And all of this out of necessity. And just when Hezekiah thought that his troubles were finished, the king of Assyria sent Tartan, Rabsaris, and Rabshakeh. Essentially, the king sent his marshal, his, his, his chief chamberlain, and his chief officer with a very strong force. Now, these, guys, these guys were heavy hitters. And these leaders railed against King Hezekiah and his people. They challenging, they, literally they were saying, <laughs> they were challenging any nation that King Hezekiah might be trusting. Essentially what they're saying is, we have conquered or will conquer those nations. They challenged their reliance on Jehovah. They challenged their confidence in Egypt because at, at the time a lot of nations you know, relied on Egypt for their horses and, and, and chariots and horsemen. They railed against them in their native language, in the Jewish language. And they tried to undermine the people's confidence in King Hezekiah's leadership. They even brought to mind the failure of prior kings who were conquered by the Assyrians and who the Assyrians conquered their gods. Their gods were helpless in protecting them. So now the people are being made aware and, and this is going to come to King Hezekiah, okay? That we are in a predicament because the Assyrians have been successful with every nation that they have gone against. And now we come to the fourth part of this paradigm, and that is an awareness of God's presence. This is a turning point. And I want you to pay close attention to the events as we are told by the Spirit of God that the leaders, Hezekiah's leaders, heard the railings of the king of Assyria's representatives, and they presented this to King Hezekiah, causing him to, to rent his garments and cover himself with uh, sackcloth. And he went into the house of Jehovah. So now this man is grief-stricken because peril is knocking at the door. And his response mirrors what many of us have done and are still doing. Please bear this in mind. We are told that the king sent these leaders to the prophet Isaiah. And he outlined for the prophet Isaiah that not only is this a day of trouble, rebuke, and reviling, but he said, we're like a woman who's about to give birth and she has no strength to push this child out. And then he says to, to, to his leadership that, that he was sending to uh, the prophet Isaiah that, we, that they were uncertain if Jehovah will hear the words of Rabshakeh, his railing. And he acknowledges that, that we know he's railing against God. And lastly, and most importantly, he asked the prophet to pray for them, pray for us. And this is what you and I do. My dear friend, I want to say this. We go to others and we say, please pray for me. And we should, because even the great Apostle Paul uh, enlisted the prayer, prayerful support of Christians that he has ministered to. But what is most needful is that we have a relationship with God where if the chips are down, if there's no, other, there's no recourse, that we are confident that we are heard of God. 
We are heard of God. And so Isaiah encourages them, don't be afraid. Not to be afraid, but that the word from Jehovah is that this man, this representative, will hear tidings and return to his, his homeland, and ultimately he'll be slain by the sword. And so God would have it that Rabshakeh returned to his land, but eventually, but he, he uh, eventually resumed his siege at a later date, and he sent a letter to, to King Hezekiah. So it went away for he went away for a little while, but guess what? The problem came back. <laughs> and in our lives, isn't it like that at times? We're praying to God, we've asked others to pray, the problem seems to go away, but then it resurrects itself, and we're right back where we started from. But now God would have it in allowing this letter to come to King Hezekiah. This time, the king went in the very presence of God himself. Okay? The king went into the very presence of God himself. Now, this is a turning point. This is a turning point. Because King Hezekiah knows that he needs God's intervention. He needs Jehovah to undertake for him and for his people. This is the turning point. And we are told that he spread the letter out before God, and now he is praying directly to Jehovah. And I want to say, this is what we do. I want to repeat, we enlist the help of others, and we should. We ask them to pray for us, and we should. But are we putting our confidence in some prayer warrior here or there while failing to engage the living God ourselves? And so our confidence, as was the case in Hezekiah's life, is misplaced, and God allowed Rabshakeh to return and to continue with his threat. And then lastly, stepping out. And here's the key. When faith lays hold of the awareness in childlike reliance on the Lord, we step out with a measure of boldness, like the woman with the issue of blood. If I but touch his garment, Peter, in the, in the midst of the storm, Lord, if it is you, tell me to come. King Asa saying, it doesn't matter whether we have a lot of resources or a little, we are looking to you. You are our confidence. And so the believer fully expects God to do an impossible task. Why? Because our vision of the circumstance has changed. We've seen, as it were, the glory of God. We've recognized that God is greater than the issue that I'm facing. And I'm fully confident that it is as good as done as long as God is with me. And King Hezekiah needed to be pushed in the direction of extremity. And now he is before God, spreading the threat out that God may see. And, 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 and look at how he approached Jehovah. He says, Jehovah, you sit between the cherubim. You're the one that sits between the cherubim. Okay? It's you, you alone. I love this. You sit between the cherubim. You are the supreme God. There's none like you. There's none equal to you. 
I think this is just wonderful. When a man catches a vision of who God is, everything changes. And we'll find this in, in, in 2 Kings 19, by the way. He says, Jehovah, you're the same. You're the one who's done marvelously in times past. You're the God of the kingdoms of the earth. You made the heaven and the earth. And most importantly, he asked Jehovah to tilt his ear. To, he said, tilt your ear. Incline your ear to me and hear. Open your eyes and see. Hear the words of this king, Sennacherib, who sent Rabshakeh. He is reproaching you, the living God. He is up reproaching you. This is what true prayer is. When a person knows I am in the presence of God himself, and I can ask boldly, fully confident that not only am I heard, but having come in the name and the worth and the person and character of our Lord Jesus Christ, God gets glory in responding. And we are told, <laughs> oh, I think it's just lovely. He says, <laughs> in fact, I, I want to go back a little. He reminds the Lord, he says, Of a truth, Jehovah, the kings of Assyria have laid waste the nations and their lands and have cast their gods into the fire, for they were no gods, but the work of men's hands, wood and stone. Therefore, they have destroyed them. And he says, And now, Jehovah, our God, I beseech you, save us out of his hand. That's specificity right there. Save us. Deliver us out of his hand. That all the kingdoms of the earth may know that you, Jehovah, are God and you alone. You see, my friends, when God allows crisis, I want to pause here for just a moment. When he allows crisis, he's doing it to make us aware, to sensitize us to our need and to his abiding presence. But sometimes we are so busy about what we are doing that we really don't have a dynamic, faith-filled walk with God. And it's difficult to... to uh, uh, qualified in words, but the awareness in my heart, in my being, in my spirit, based on the word of God or some promise thereof, that not only is God with me, but I am heard. And God allows trouble to awaken us, to sensitize us. And this king was made sensitive because now the threat went away only to return again in the form of a letter simply saying, I'm coming, I'm coming for you. And now this man steps into the presence of God, knowing he is in the presence of Jehovah, he lays out the letter and he begins to, he, he, the Spirit of God paints for us the view that Isaiah has of the God of Israel. You're sitting between the cherubim there's no greater place. He's not running helter-skelter. He's not afraid of the circumstance. He's not caught off guard. He's sitting in command of heaven and earth. He is the one that does marvelously. 
He's the God of the kingdoms of the earth, including the Assyrians. He commands them. Heavens and the earth, the orbs, the sun, the moon, the stars, and the galaxies beyond, whatever understanding they had of the universe at that time, he was aware that Jehovah rules, governs even the universe. And as such, having such sovereignty, such dominion, such authority, such might and power, he now asks, tilt your ear towards me and hear, hear my voice. Open your eyes and see the threat that we're facing. Hear the words of this man who reproaches you, not me. It's you. It's your cause. We are your people. That's the same thing King Asa said. <laughs> this is your fight, not our fight. They come against you, not us. And we are relying on you, so fight for us. The same response, two different men at different times in their reigns, in the reign of the uh, southern uh, kings of Judah, we're looking to you. He's reproaching you. Get glory for yourself. Save us out of his hand for one purpose and one purpose alone, that the kingdoms of the earth may know that you, Jehovah, are our God and that you alone are God. You know, I remember uh, when I made reference to my very brief memoir, A Violent Gust of Wind in the Presence of God, and I was praying that God would make a way for me to get to St. Croix, uh, U.S. Virgin Islands, and uh, Hurricane Irma was 10 days out from, from a direct hit <laughs> to St. Croix. I remember having spoken with my sister, and she wanted, you know, wanted to confirm if I was still coming. And I said, yeah, I'm coming. And she said, Hurricane Irma is probably going to hit just before you get here. And if it's a direct hit, you probably won't get on the island. And I told her, I am asking God to move the storm north of St. Croix. And, and, and she was beside herself that I would ask God to move a storm. But I said, Katie, he owns the storm. He rules the winds. And I set aside time of prayer and fasting, asking God to open that window of opportunity and move that storm. My friends, two to three days before the storm actually hit, the weather report, a weather reporter said that the storm wobbled. And I knew what that meant. What it meant is I had been heard. And I continued with my visual before God as I had been doing the seven days prior. And the day that the storm should have hit, when my sister called and told me, she said, we barely had any heavy winds. It, it was fine. It was just a normal day. Glory to God. I said, I'm on my way. Get the glory. Wanting God to get the glory. And so we are told in 1 Kings uh, chapter 19 at about the 35th verse that it came to pass that night that very night that Hezekiah is before God, that an angel of Jehovah went forth and smote the camp of the uh, Assyrians, slaying 185,000 soldiers. An angel, one angel, <laughs> slew 185,000 uh, of the enemy's soldiers. And when they arose early in the morning, behold, all were dead, and Sennacherib, the king of Assyria departed and went and returned and at a, uh, to, his, uh, to Nineveh. 
And there he was uh, assassinated while he was worshiping his idol, uh, Nisroch. Okay? But he returned. And this king, and so many of us, like this king, have to be brought to a place where there is no possible opportunity or avenue to extricate ourselves from the ensuing crisis. Why? Because God wants to take full advantage, if you will, of a circumstance in which he will reveal, if we are willing to look to him, he will reveal himself to us. He will show himself strong on our behalf. Oh, my friends, uh, we may have one uh, more podcast on this uh, subject, but I urge you, I want to appeal to your heart, wherever you are, whatever crisis you are facing right now, pause, knowing fully that God has allowed this crisis to draw you to himself. Embrace the trial. Thank him for it. Ask him by his grace to open your eyes and enlighten the eyes of your heart that you might see the fingerprint of God in this circumstance. And with the full assurance of faith in his great and precious promises, embrace not only the trial, but the opportunity to know God in a deeper, more real and sensitive way. Oh, my friends, this is what Besides Still Waters is all about. To encourage believers wherever they are, in the midst of the heat of battle, the, the, the press of, of difficulty and trial, that we might know the living God, we might see his grace operative in our lives, we might receive from his hand answers to our requests as we wait quietly in his presence. Oh, Father, help your people today. Help us all to embrace the trials that you have allowed in your sovereign care. Strengthen us. Open the eyes of our understanding. Give us promises from your word that we might rely on you, that we might look to you. Just as uh, King Hezekiah said, you are our God and you alone. You are the one that governs the kingdoms. And we're praying, loving Father, that you'd give us the grace to hold your hand through the trial that at the end of it, we might say that it was you and you alone that wrought our deliverance. May it be so for Jesus' sake. Thank you for joining Besides Still Waters podcast with Christian Javois. Besides Still Waters is the quiet moment in the stillness of God's presence to receive guidance, light, and grace to live by faith. I hope you've been helped and encouraged to press on living for the glory of God. It has been a pleasure and a privilege to connect with you on this podcast. To stay connected, please follow Christian Javois on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Thanks for tuning in, and we will see you on the next podcast of Beside Still Waters.